$2 late fee, you have one new message. Zach, Dustin, Corey, Skeletor's on his way. Get your laser beams, let's go. Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? Well, that's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. <laughs> Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. All right, the annual crossover between $2 Late Fee and Podcasting After Dark has come to a close with our interview with the one and only Chelsea Field. Corey from Podcasting After Dark is here. Corey, this is it, baby. The finale. What a way to end an amazing month with an amazing interview by an amazing person. She is fantastic. Chelsea Field is awesome and does not do a lot of interviews. So this was a very special occasion for us. And she brought a lot of insight and information uh, to us. We actually uh, referenced some of it for our both of our episodes. And uh, it's great to finally hear it all. And we hope you guys and gals all love it because it's fantastic. Yeah, she's amazing cubed. I think because you said amazing <laughs> yeah, three times. Yeah, so I'm going to yeah. say amazing cubed. Um, yeah, she's, she's great. She, uh, she brought a lot more than I think she expected and thank the gods she did because we talked about a lot of her great movies throughout her filmography in the eighties and nineties. And it's really entertaining. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, cheap plug, please consider becoming one for $2 lay fee and podcasting after dark because she has some great content on $2 Late Fees Patreon and as well as the wrap-up After Dark on Podcasting After Dark. It's great, too, in regards to the, the Harley Davidson and Marlboro Man talk and Chelsea talk. And, uh, Corey, you know, having you with us during this time makes it so much better. I know last year, our Wraith Timber uh, interview, uh, you weren't on that one, but you are on this one. And was great to have you on the show so thank you for once again doing this super duper crossover oh no it's it's great i love doing it with you guys uh especially with dustin it's it's the only time i really get to uh, work with him on a podcasting level and he's a lot of fun i think the three of us have a great rapport together um and I think uh, it was it was a fun movie to break down, if not, you know, one of the best ones we've done. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And Dustin does get to pick next year's crossover event. You know, we're slowly smoothing out the edges on these month-long uh, events. Like, for example, we didn't have him on TV Obscura this month on Podcasting After Dark, and I thought that was a missed opportunity. So next year, I want it to be a full month with Dustin. I want to have him on TV Obscura and everything on Podcasting After Dark. So uh, we're, we're, we're perfecting it over the years, but I do love these annual crossover events. Me too. I don't think 
anyone in their wildest dreams considered Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man to be something that we provided so much content to. <laughs> and I think it's only fitting to have Chelsea at the end with her interview because she dropped some bombs. She Not not bombs. No, so wait, say. hold on. She, she came into the interview and said, word to your moms, I came to drop bombs. In fact, she did. No, she did not. But she did drop some great knowledge and insight on Harley uh, that kind of didn't surprise us. Uh, and when you hear it, you're going to be like, mm-hmm, that tracks, that yeah. tracks. <laughs> and my gosh, she talks about skin deep. She talks about prison. She talks about dust devil, dust devil with, you know, Richard Stanley's film. And of course, masters of the universe, quite possibly her favorite movie that she's worked on from that time. You know, it's funny. That's two people who's mentioned that it's like their favorite movie because famously Frank Langella said Skeletor is his favorite character to play as well. And he, you know, he had a storied history of characters that he played in Hollywood and he loved that character. So we have two people who are on record saying they loved working on that film. Enjoy Chelsea. Enjoy Corey. Enjoy Dustin. Enjoy me. Enjoy life, everyone. Just enjoy. And try to enjoy Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Because as someone famously said, it's better to be dead and cool than alive and uncool. Enjoy Chelsea Field. Chelsea Field, it is huge. Huge <laughs> to have you on $2 late fee uh, and podcasting after dark because what we're doing, we're doing a crossover episode between two podcasts. I like to describe myself as um, I have two uh, sister wives, one in Dustin and one in Corey, and <laughs> I'm somewhere in the middle and um, <laughs> sandwich, I suppose. But thank you so much for being on our show. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Can you tell me what the uh, $2 late fee title came from? Yes. Well, can you guess what that's from? No. Okay, so $2 late <laughs> fee refers to the video store days in the 80s uh, oh, when right. if you didn't return a movie by 7 p.m. the next day, you got charged $2. My store was $2. Right. was more. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so long ago, but it really <laughs> wasn't. I mean, when you think about it, like it, it was just not that long ago, but it seems like forever that we used to rent videos. Exactly. Man, it really the does. World has changed. It really does. So two dollar late fee is primarily we do eighties revisiting eighties movies, late seventies we dip into early nineties, and podcasting after dark is a breakdown of all the movies that you weren't supposed to be <laughs> up watching, but but these guys <laughs> yeah. were. Yeah, so same era and everything, but we we focus more on cult movies, uh, you know, versus the mainstream stuff. Like, for example, we covered Rennie Harlan's Prison uh, in, in season one uh, of the show. So we, we like to get in real deep with the, the obscure stuff and really champion those movies that sometimes a lot of people haven't seen uh, or yeah. haven't seen in a long time. I don't think I've ever seen Prison. What? <laughs> no, I don't think... I don't remember there even being like a premiere or a screening or anything. I, I honestly don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. that was a bad experience That's for you amazing. then? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. I do remember, like, I remember a few things about it. Um, we shot it in Wyoming. The wind was really, really bad in Wyoming. Like when we got there, they were telling us all these statistics. Like at the time, um, Wyoming had the highest um suicide rate and after being there for a week i'm like well no wonder the friggin wind never stops i mean <laughs> yeah. it's just 
literally I brought my bike and I would be riding my bike to the set and I would be going downhill pumping like I was going uphill. Oh gosh. Yeah. But, um, and, and, um, Vigo who was, you know, I, I don't know if that was his first film, but he was very new on the scene. And I remember Rennie invited us to lunch at the time, um, which was the big Hollywood restaurant to go to, which was mustache cafe on Melrose. Okay. And we showed up and, you know, I had my linen shorts and my linen jacket and all, and, and Rennie was there. And then Vigo shows up with, you know, like a pair of jeans that looked like, you know, he'd had them for 25 years and a t-shirt and no shoes. Oh, no shoes? No shoes at all. And so Rennie looks down and he goes, oh, um, yeah, let's see. And I know he's thinking, I wonder if they're going to let me us in the restaurant. They did. But I just remember thinking, oh, this guy is just, he's really, you know, he's so odd and he's out there, but he was so amazing to work with. And I didn't, I don't think I had a lot of scenes with Vigo, but he was, you know, even then it was like, you could tell this guy is, you know, quite an artist and, you know, dancing to his own drummer. And Rennie Harlan was pretty new on the scene with that film as well. So there was, yes. there was the energy in that movie, like, like, you know, conducive to, uh, because of that? Well, you know, I, so I think it was Rennie's first American film. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I remember there being a big thing about Rennie, you know, like, oh, this is the first American film and blah, 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 blah. And um, I know that he did not want me. I was like his second choice. So I came into that feeling like, <laughs> okay, you know, and my part, I don't remember, like I was, I always had scenes that weren't with everybody because yeah. I had like one-on-one scenes. With so, like Lane Smith, for example. Exactly. I worked yeah. a lot with Lane. So I did, I was not isolated, but I, I wasn't in with the gang, you know, obviously I wasn't in the prison with everybody. So um, it was sort of that kind of a movie, but you know, it was a good experience and Rennie was fine, you know, and I had fun with the, the uh, makeup uh, woman, Suzanne, and I can't remember her last name, but she was hilarious and just kept us laughing. You know, when you're on location, when you're on a remote location like that, it gets, you got to get along with people on the crew or it's just torture the wind is blowing and the yeah. people are killing themselves and Susanna's yes. is the light through the darkness making making us laugh yeah. <laughs> well it. also to the subject matter that movie was so dark and and um and also that was a richard band or a, like a charles band production i think so it had some of that empire pictures maybe that's why you didn't have a premiere because maybe it was a straight to video kind of thing too much yeah yeah too expensive probably another world so the power's down all over the prison where something is trapped in the dark something grab hold of me some things just won't stay buried it's something evil i summon the creature of darkness it's something inhuman what's happening in there and it's waiting for someone come forth and show yourself to open the door now the evil is loose and there is no escape. Not a pleasant place to spend one's life is Miss Walker. Prison. Like Corey said, we covered prison on the show on Podcasting After Dark, but your whole filmography from like Death Spa, <laughs> even <laughs> Death Spa. <laughs> Somebody literally about, ten, well, I was at the, I was uh, directing at, um, 
Hamilton Music Academy. I was directing their musicals and somebody said, oh, you did a film called Despawn. I was like, I did. I had completely <laughs> forgotten that I even did it. Oh my god! And I guess they had Googled me, you know, the kids and the students had Googled me. And I was like, oh God. And then like, I could feel my mind going back into the cobwebs of long ago and going, oh yeah, because that was sort of when I was transitioning from being a dancer into being an actress. So a lot of that transition time was, I wasn't doing dance jobs anymore, but they weren't like, in my opinion, full on acting gigs yet. <laughs> that was kind of a in between. Well, so you started out as a dancer then? Yeah, I did. And was super lucky because I didn't start training until I was 16. And um, I did started getting work at about 20. And my last job really when I was trying to get out of it was solid gold. And I, I had been out on the road um, singing and dancing, you know, singing with bands. And I came back to LA and started to run out of money. And I was like, Oh my God. And then I, there was this open call, which I did not go to. I was out of town for. And then I had gone to uh, NBC affiliates. Do you remember they used to have like affiliates shows yeah. for networks? Mm -hmm. And I went to that audition and the same choreographer, Anita Mann, who was choreographing the NBC affiliate show was doing solid gold. And she goes, Oh, we just had a huge audition and there was nobody. And I need you. And I was like, yeah, there was like 2000 people at that audition. I'm sure you could have found somebody. But anyways, I got the job. And so that was lucky. But I really would that was like, the, I knew that that was the end I was trying to get out of it. And so I started studying acting while I was doing solid gold. And um, yeah, when I knew I needed to stop acting, I kind of I mean, dancing, I looked around and I just thought, Oh, my God, what am I going to do? Like, yeah, I don't know how to type. I don't know. I, you know, I can't work at a bank. And then I thought, oh, I'll go to acting class. And as soon as I got to acting class, I was like, oh my mm. God, you mean you can express with words coming out of your mouth? This is fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I can use my voice and not yeah. just my legs. Yeah, exactly. It's it's nice to hear when like that sort of uh, you know it, it strikes like that and and because we, we were talking to Wings Hauser and he you know he had that moment where he was playing football and everything and then he did this like he did the first play and it just it all hit him he's like this is where I'm meant to be and everything so it's nice to hear that when you insert yourself into that moment you kind of just you know it you can feel it you know yeah yeah it was so different because. Um, with dancing, you know, when you get nervous or you have some, you know, anxiety or anything, you really can process it through your body, you know, as you're dancing or as you're performing, like when you get nervous before a performance, it just, it actually enhances your performance because, you know, suddenly you're kicking and you're hitting your head instead of right here, you know, and, but with, and with singing, it's totally different because you can't, you know, for me, singing is the most vulnerable. You're just so vulnerable when you sing in front of people. But with the acting, it was, there was so much internal work um, that was already sort of my wheelhouse because I loved kind of the inner journey. And I was, you know, quite a student of, you know, um, psychology and, you know, figuring out why things were the way they were that when I got to acting class, I, and luckily I studied with a, a man, David LeGrant, who was fantastic and he was more, more method than anything else. And so it just all fit together and was like, oh, I get it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. That's great. You, yeah. And then, and then obviously, like you said, death spa is a, uh, is a blip on the wall, but I got to tell you, I saw it at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica a few years back at one of their horror fests. Oh, and, wow. uh, and it was definitely the one that everybody wanted to see. 
really yeah i mean everybody was going nuts for that movie and then there's a funny line in that where you're you're picking up on a guy in the gym and and he's like i'm sorry you're uh what does he say you're vhs and i'm beta or something like that and... <laughs> uh, yes i remember that Hi. Hi. well how many reps can you do uh, 15 or 20 more if i'm showing on well why don't you show off for me i never waste effort in the gym besides i'm beta you're vhs Dustin and I coined a phrase called masterpiece. Sometimes there's masterpieces. It definitely mm-hmm. falls into the, whoa, this is horribly bad kind of category, but it's yes. still fun. It's a fun movie yeah. to see. Yeah. I felt that way. I mean, I again, I don't think I ever saw Death Spa either. Um, I had this sort of reoccurring thing in my life where I'm doing something, but I'm my mind is over there thinking of the next thing. And it's terrible. I really did not stop until I was like in my 50s of like, I'm going to be here now yeah, mm-hmm. and not be thinking what's the next thing. I don't know where that came from, probably my childhood. But so like a lot of these early films that I did, I remember being there and doing them, but I know I was in my head thinking, I got to find another film. I got to find the next show. Yeah. I got to, you know, <clears throat> and Death Spa was one of those because I was still trying to, I think Death Spa and I was in Perfect, I think. You were. Those were like these, you know, I got hired because I was a dancer and I had this dancer body. And it wasn't until I got hired for Masters of the Universe where I felt like, oh, they hired me because I'm an actress, even though (laughs) there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of lines. I didn't have a lot of lines in that um, movie, but I remember getting that movie and it was literally like, I felt like I had run a touchdown in the last four seconds of the Super Bowl and broke the tie. At the far end of the universe, there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil. And there is only one man who dares challenge him. They are locked in a battle to the death. A battle that will take them across the heavens. Stop him! A battle that will finally be fought. I want them to get out and brought to me! Across the face. Please! Nobody move! Of Earth. I think I'm gonna need some backup. Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. Frank Langella as Skeletor. Only they have the powers to be. Masters of the Universe. Live the adventure. Uh, it was the greatest feeling ever. And it was just, you know, it's like a nothing film, but that feeling of like breaking through that barrier because, you know, back then you know, dancers weren't becoming actors. Now, dance, you know, you do everything. You're an actor, mm-hmm. you better know how to sing and to dance. And if you're a dancer, you better know how to act. And, and everybody does everything. But back then, it, you, I never told people I was a dancer when I would go for acting jobs because that was literally like, oh yeah, no, never mind. She can't act. Mm. That was the, the rap that, yeah. you know, you, you can't act if you're a dancer. So pass, let's get the real actors in here. It's a really good point. So you were, and you were finally convinced. You're like, there's no way Tila is dancing in this movie. So I think I'm safe. Like, they're, like, they're like, <laughs> well, I knew that I had gotten hired partly because of my, my, um, my body, because when they, when I went for the costume design meeting and they had like some pieces for me to try on, I said to Julie Weiss, I think it was, that was costume designer. I said, um, so this stuff is supposed to be the armor. And she's like, yeah. And I go, so it's not covering anything, (laughs) any vital organs. (laughs) It's literally just accentuating, Mm. you know, my waist and my breasts and my, you know, 
But so I knew that that was part of it. And I had auditioned for it so many times. I must have gone in six times for Gary Goddard and the producers. And it was all about, you know, rolling on the floor and then pretending I had a gun and going, you know, and making all the sound effects myself, like literally doing the whole thing in the office myself. So obviously it was, you know, a lot of it was action and, um, you know, looking the part. So. I knew that was part of it, but I, at least I was out of a five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> <laughs> and here's he, man. Wait, what? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Um, I have a, a son who's uh, seven going on eight. And when he was about three, he really got into like old school He-Man cartoons Aww. and whatnot. And and uh, I took him to PowerCon a few years ago and he dressed up like He-Man and I was Battle Cat. And uh, they ended up putting us on that show, The Toys That Made Us, uh, like showing clips and whatnot. You were there because uh, they were doing like a, a Q&A or something for Masters of the Universe. And and just the fandom behind your role, that movie has gotten bigger. I know. I know. I took my grown son. He's 22 now. And I think whenever was like the anniversary of something, I don't know how many years it was, it was some anniversary. And they did a screening in at the Egyptian in Hollywood and Gary was there, Gary Goddard and a few of the actors. And um, I took my son and when it was starting, I mean, I hadn't seen it forever. And I said, honey, you know, this like, like don't expect anything, you know, and (laughs) don't expect anything from the um, the special effects. And afterwards he was like, mom, it was actually kind of good. And I, I felt like it sort of held its own. You know, I mean, obviously not compared to the Marvel and all that stuff, but there was some story there and Gary hired, you know, he hired some good actors, James Tolkien. I mean, Frank Langella was amazing, you know, in spite of the the mask that, you know, literally didn't move at all, but Meg Foster, right? Meg, Meg and Christina Pickles. Yes. Yeah. And somebody named somebody named Courtney. I don't know what yeah, her name. Courtney. Yeah. <laughs> we all became really good friends, including Ann Coates, the editor. Um, and yeah, we used to have dinner parties all the time. That was a really fun group. It that. was a good first you know, movie for me. We also talk nice. about like uh, in these movies that, you know, can, cons- that we can, you consider B movies or whatever. I think it's a great movie and I think it holds up well. And I think that is becoming the, the general zeitgeist uh, f- about the movie. But one thing that we talk about on podcasting after dark and uh, Dustin and Zach on $2 late fee is like, sometimes you can also feel that X factor behind the scenes that even if the movie uh. itself isn't, you know, perfect or whatever, you can still feel the love that went into it. You can still feel the positive of energy that everyone had behind the scenes and i think that's one of the x factors that propels movies like masters of the universe into like this point where now they're cult classics everybody loves it still it's you know people champion that movie now and i i was alive i saw it in theater when i was a kid and i was like what is this movie but now i'm like this is beautiful this is amazing you know (laughs) but was was the experience positive like that behind the scenes it was it was really great and i don't again i don't know if it was because of my it was my first kind of real big you know break um but it was i mean i had a ball um john cypher and i did um broadsword classes they brought in a guy that was a broadsword um uh stunt man and we did that and then we did um we had rehearsals but you know like having rehearsals before you start shooting i mean that's like what who does that anymore (laughs) nobody that i know Mm -hmm. so that was really great and um 
I didn't know any of the financial stuff because Gary Goddard was very like, we didn't know any of that was going on. I mean, I just, you know, we got our paychecks. That's all I know. And I, I had that's no good. idea that there were days when nobody knew that they were getting, you know, if they were getting a paycheck or not. So he kind of protected us from that. Um, but it was, it, we had so much fun. We shot a lot of nights. I can't remember, but it was, I want to say like three or four weeks of nights in Whittier when that whole, you know, when Skeletor comes down and all that. And when you're shooting nights, you're, you all, already you feel like you're in a kind of a camp, a summer camp when you're doing a film, mm -hmm. totally. but then you're shooting nights. It's even more intense because you're coming home. I remember listening to Rick D's in the morning, <laughs> driving home and I was Disco always driving against, yeah, I, I was driving against traffic and I was all jacked up on like Reese's peanut butter cups and coffee is what I <laughs> lived on then. That sounds and wonderful. I get home and you know, you'd be going to sleep. And so I never saw any, none of my friends or mm -hmm. my family or anything for all those weeks. So we really bonded um, that group. We were all Robbie, McNeil, Courtney. We all had dinner parties and we'd hang out, you know, even for months afterwards. Yeah. Wow. It was awesome. A good group. I love that. And Whittier is so, is so random even now. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, was it a warehouse or something? Just like a. You know, when, when, um, when uh, uh, Billy Barty is trying to do the, get the, the machine, the yeah. octo mm -hmm. rectifier or whatever, <laughs> trying to <laughs> get guitar. that to work. Um, and all these, you know, those like the park and outside and the, I mean, there was a library, all that was in Whittier. And then the roof, if you remember the rooftop where Skeletor comes down and they have an interaction, that yeah. was all Whittier. Okay. So um, even like the opening stuff with Courtney and the, like she worked at a Frosty Freeze kind of place or something. Yeah, yeah. Dairy That Queen was all in Whittier. Wow. So a lot of it, a lot of the exterior stuff was there. Must've been nice driving against traffic though. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. God. <laughs> Cause you know how SAG, they have those rules if you're so many miles away. And of course it was like one mile. Oh, just shy, just shy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I hate that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's why, that's why Whittier. That's why they yeah. chose Whittier. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. It fits the bill, the billing bill. Mm -hmm. While you were saying um, you had a great relationship with everybody on set and, and I think of the movie Skin Deep you made and you made, you didn't have a huge part in it, but you had a very memorable part in it and you're working with probably in my opinion one of the most talented uh comedians uh of oh, our generation in john ritter God bless him. how was that experience uh, so great skin deep? he was and blake edwards too they were just yeah. wonderful i don't know what to say how about the lord is my shepherd <gasps> meet zach hutton Darling. after 10 years of marital bliss his luck is about to run out. Come on, Angie, for God's sake. Oh. He's been thrown out, and he's about to discover that being single can be dangerous. I've worked five years to build this body, and for one night, it's all yours. How do you feel about that? Like Mrs. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hi, honey. Morning. Sorry, I'm late. Now, Zach wants his old life back. I was about to suggest that we give it another try. Are you completely off your nut? And he won't take no for an answer. This is this a bad time? John Ritter. But there is a God! And he's a gang writer! What the fuck? 
in a Blake Edwards film. God, I wish I didn't hate you so much, Zach. Skin Deep. I had read the script and originally Blake wanted me for, and I'm trying to remember which role it was. Um, it was one of the other roles. I don't remember which one. And, but I know that when I read the script and I got to the part of a glowing condom, I was laughing so hard. And my husband at the time, my, my now ex-husband, he it was like, what is so funny? And I literally had tears streaming down my cheeks. And I just took the script and went like this and handed it to him. And then 10 minutes later, he was same thing. He was killing himself laughing. So then I got, they told me I got, I booked the movie. We were working on the deal and they said, oh, by the way, he doesn't want you for that role. He wants you for this role. And I was like, oh my God, that's, it's so iconic. It is. That scene. It's maybe Um, one of the the funniest scenes in the movie outside of the, the, the night after he's with the bodybuilder and then he's in the dance class. So, you know, it's just, (laughs) what about when Julianne, 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 um, Julianne Phillips, I yes, think, yes, with the with the 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 like the tens machine where she's <laughs> yes. and he comes out and he's twitching. Oh, oh my god, god. <laughs> that in at the screening I was roaring over that scene. His physical comedy is just was like no other. I introduced my wife to that movie uh, probably about six months ago, so she saw it for the first time. It was a sort of a rediscovery for me. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. Boy, does it hold up fantastically. <laughs> it is hilarious. And that scene is my favorite scene where he's just like twitching because it goes on for like five minutes. Going. It go, keeps yes. going. And you just, I'm just like, oh, and I grew, I grew up on Three's Company. I was just like, I miss John Ritter so much. I know. You know, I know. he was just a, a tour de force. He really was. And what a loss. Just a shock and so sad. Yeah. He, he was great to work with. Blake was too. But he was, him and Blake were literally like two junior high kids Mm. two junior high boys because when we shot that scene the glowing condom scene it probably would have taken maybe a day but it was three days and it was because they kept coming up with more and more ideas yeah and at the time i was i was still going to lembe uh, harvey lembex you know i just would go into that class whenever the improv class because it was great you didn't have to prepare you just show up so if you're a working actress it works great you can just show up and still be you know keeping you know yourself on your toes and um john came in one day um when i was there and and participated and so you know he was so brilliant and he so he would be improving you know on the set and then that would you know tickle blake and then blake would go oh try this or they'd be whispering something and they'd be doing something different and wouldn't tell me you know and they just were hilarious the two of them together well there's something there's something so special i'm thinking about some of the the random movies we've mentioned so far and some of the more memorable ones when we were younger we didn't have imdb we didn't have um however we kind of see what what's coming next right and we just had okay oh that actor's in this movie oh that actor's in this movie and every time you would pop up in these movies i'd go oh there's chelsea field i I love her she's great and it wasn't just (laughs) tila it was like Oh, skin deep. I mean, like we said, podcasting after dark or movies we probably shouldn't have watched when we were a certain age. And I'm seeing skin deep when I'm like in my, you know, 
early teens or whatever and oh boy and yeah which is a little awkward uh that's you know, old for you zach you're normally like six <laughs> yeah normally i'm six and my <laughs> mom takes stories. me to the movies you're normally like four and a half and you're uh, watching uh revenge of the nerds yeah no kidding chelsea <laughs> i can tell you stories about my mom taking me to movies it's like oh let's see this movie I'm like why mom why would i don't that's not appropriate or even at that age but early teens um, you're uh, telling your mom this isn't appropriate for me mom, yeah, mom. i did she took well, me to um, see like romancing the stone when I was seven or something. And oh. I'm like, what is, Oh, it, this is uncomfortable right now. There's a love <laughs> yeah. scene. But anyways, <laughs> um, but, but you know, I, I, every time you popped up on screen, it was so, it was such a, a, a breath of fresh air because uh -huh. you brought a certain charm to every role that you've been in sincerely. I mean that 100%. Uh -huh. And uh, you know, from Skin Deep, the next movie we saw, I saw you in a, at least was Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. And I'm like, okay, this movie, I liked it at the time on a certain level. We are going to be actually breaking that movie down, um, the three of us, <laughs> scene by scene, much to Good Dustin's luck. dismay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what are your feelings on that movie that you made, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man? Um, well, Simon Winster, the director, was a very, very nice man. Um <laughs> <laughs> I love that and, you're searching for yeah. something right now. So here's a little behind the scenes story on this one. So Mickey Rourke had a girlfriend at the time, or maybe his wife. I'm not sure. I think she was a model. I don't remember. You guys probably know her name. And Carrie Otis, I think. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> he, he wanted her for the role. And after I, when I auditioned and I'm assuming she auditioned, um, and Don saw my tape, he said, I want, so he was, Don Johnson was in my camp and Mickey was in his girlfriend's camp. And For the role of Virginia Slim. The Virginia Slim, that's it. So um, I obviously got it. And he, Mickey was, you know, maybe this is how he is on the set for everybody, but he was really extremely not, you know, he was just rude to me yeah. at the end of the oh, scene God. where we're in a coffee shop, you know, and like, God bless. It's all good. Um, yeah. It didn't, it didn't affect me other than, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm sorry. You know, I got the job. Like, don't punish me, you know? Really? It's like killing you know? the messenger, you know? So yeah. I don't know. I, you know, it could be, it could be something totally different, but he was not a nice person to me. Yeah. Um, when we did the scene in the, we were in the coffee shop yeah. and I don't know, we're talking. And so we're doing the, the coverage. We do the master, we're doing the coverage and he goes and does my coverage first and then he turns around and and Mickey does completely different stuff. Oh god. Like so different that I was my reaction shots were like this. <laughs> wow. And wow. I was thinking, oh, okay, well they're bummer. I I you know, oh, I love playing in scenes. Let's let's yeah. play. Yeah. But give me a shot, give me a chance at and and it could have been also that you know, playing devil's advocate, maybe he was more into the scene and started thinking of different ideas, but it was so completely different when they turned around on him. Oh. And then at the end, you know, they're like, okay, cut, we're moving on to scene, blah, 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 blah. And so I'm getting out of the booth and everybody, you know, the whole, you know, the set breaks up and everyone's moving and doing their job. Right. And as I'm getting up, he goes, uh, Chelsea, Chelsea. And I, I kind of look because I'm totally shocked that he's even acknowledging <laughs> me about anything. Wow. And I go, oh yeah. And he goes, thank you. And he puts his hand out like this and I go, oh, okay, thanks. And it wasn't like it was the last scene we were going to have together or anything. You know, sometimes when that's your last scene, you'll do that with an actor. And I go, oh, okay, you know, you're welcome and thank you. And I go to shake his hand and he has a jelly donut in his hand. Uh, 
I'm like, what a clown. Are you five years old? You know, did he have a nose, a a red nose on too and go waka waka and a hand buzzer and a whoopee cushion. I'm just like, okay. So, um, but the big thing about that set was that both of um, Don and Mickey were, you know, very much in competition about who was the bigger star, I guess, or something. And yeah. I would come on the set and I'd be like, okay, you know, ready for the scene. And, and Simon would say to the first AD, where's Don? He's like, he's on his way. Okay, great. So then Don would get there and he'd say, are we ready? And Simon would say, well, we're just, we're just waiting for Mickey. You know, the, the PA is getting him. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh. all right, let me know when he's here. We'd walk back to his trailer. Mickey had come on the set and he'd say, where's Don? And he said, well, he was here, but he just walked back. He was waiting for you. So um, we're, we're, he's coming. We're getting him right now. Mickey goes, okay, let me know when he's here. Literally, he like poor oh Simon Windsor would be looking at his watch going, tick tock, cha-ching, cha-ching. Hello, people. Yeah. Burning money. Yeah. Wow. Burning so, money. Yeah, and that was, you know, those were the years where, you know, I mean, he was worried about it. Simon was for sure. But, I, you know, last Boy Scout, it was just like the amount of takes. That, that was when people just, there was no end to the money then. So, you know, people were wasting it left and right. Uh, the 90s, early 90s. Um, <laughs> can I ask you, were you made aware before you had the role, you were made aware of this Mickey Rourke drama? You were made aware he didn't want you before you no. had it? No. No. Okay. No. Afterwards, I don't remember how I found that out. It was either my agent or, um, I don't, I, I, it could have been Don, but I, it might've been Don who told me that. I don't know. I don't remember how I found out, but I know that, you know, I knew that and it was like, well, whatever. I like that makes sense in Move retrospect. On. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. It makes me think of that scene, that scene you were talking about in the diner. He's covered in whipped cream or something on his face because he's eating breakfast with you and it and he's like mucking up the scene i remember you that's know, it that was it none yeah. of that on my take wow none <laughs> <laughs> so they definitely had no reaction shots to cut to yeah you know? yeah yeah because you yeah. have been like wipe your face because there's good garbage <laughs> all over it <laughs> i do remember the script i and you know sometimes this happens but like the scene, which is the reverse of Butch Cassidy, yep. you know, where, where he's with the gun is hot. That scene, which I remember reading, I, when it was in the script, I, I remember it was much better. It was much better on the page. Yeah. And that was a shame because sometimes not always, but sometimes you read things on the page and then you see them and you're like, Oh, bummer. It was so much better on the page. And I don't know where that went wrong, but yeah, that, that's a feeling that I kind of had personally watching it, wondering, you know, Don Michael Paul, actor, director, writer, et cetera, uh, you know, probably had a more fleshed out screenplay. And th- it feels like there were scenes that were left on the cutting room floor. Um, I think so, because I, I do remember liking the script and thinking, oh, this is good and this is kind of clever. Yeah. And, you know, it could have been because of the, you know, between the two of them. Um, that things got messed up or I don't know, maybe it was the, you know, the way they cut it together and yeah. But you get, but you had a cool role as this cop, this LA cop riding a motorcycle and a badass in your own right. Yep. Did you do scenes on the motorcycle? I just pulled up and stopped. And then, and then I think I pulled away, but then the rest of the time they wouldn't let me do it. But it was really, I remember when I, like when I pulled up and stopped, I was like, holy shit. Cause it is, it was really heavy. 
it was hard mm. to hold up you know wasn't you know you had to like really be ready for it and the first time i did it i was like oh my god i mean it didn't go down but it could have easily gone down yeah yeah so well and you had you had a level of heart with your role uh in, in a movie that could be totally wacky or totally stupid or whatever but you're this the the romantic aspect of this movie where you know you're clearly in love with the marlboro man you know robert and 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 Don there's all this Don Johnson. Yeah. And there's all this wacky stuff going on, but it was, it was a moment like I, and when I saw it in the theater, I felt this way. And then watching it again recently, I felt this way it was, there was a lot of heart in your relationship and kind of feeling bad for the guy that you're going to get married to because he's like, who's this dude who just shows up, Yeah, you know? And, and that was, that was nice. It was nice to have a little bit of humanity in, in a other, otherwise bizarro film. What do you want, Robert? You want my help? My sympathy? My hand in marriage? What? I don't know what I want. I know what I don't want. I don't want whatever there was between us. And without telling you, you've been a better part of my life. Best part of my life. Robert. Yeah, I, I've definitely done a lot of um, films that have, you know, a lot of testosterone in them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I have a funny little story that's, you know, uh, that happened right before I was doing the dark half. Um, yeah. When I was in, I think. George Romero, I think, directed that. George right? Romero Timothy directed Hutton. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was and we shot it in somewhere in Pennsylvania. I. Oh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, I was in Pittsburgh. And I think I was at the time I was doing three movies. I was doing that. I had just gotten um, Harley Davidson and there was one other. I was Was it Dust Devil? Was that the other one? No, because that was that was in. Um... Nice try, Zach. Nice try. Yeah. I... yeah. You're only one. You're only five for nine. No. Sorry. Normally I'm a I'm <laughs> five for six. Anyway, yeah. Dust Devil was shot in Namibia. So I know it yes. wasn't that, but there was one other. I can't, it might've been Skin Deep. Maybe like I was finishing Skin Deep and I yeah. got, anyways, it was, I was doing kind of like finishing up one. I had just booked, booked Harley and I was on my way to Pittsburgh and I got to Pittsburgh and um, I was in this funky hotel and the door knocks, you know, and I'm like, who is it? And it's like, oh, de forest delivery. And I was like, okay. And you know, there was already like a basket of fruit or something from the producers, which they usually do. So this big, huge, beautiful flower arrangement comes in. And I'm like, who is this from? And I open up the card and it says, dear Chelsea, congratulations. Keep your hands off my husband, Melanie. Amazing. <laughs> I hadn't even started the movie yet. She had it sent to where this, you know, where I was Amazing. Before. Yeah. Yikes. So I think that might have been, you know, in the middle of their... That's amazing. Some marital problems. So. Yeah. Or she just did that on every movie. 
of his. I, no, well, was- I don't know. I didn't really know. I didn't even understand. I called some of my girlfriends. <laughs> I'm like, what? And they were like, oh, they, you know, he had an affair or whatever. There was some gossip or some tabloid oh stuff that God. I didn't follow. I didn't know about. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> and this is warning. safe to say, we said this offline, Corey and I both were, were t- marveling in the fact that uh, we were in love with Don Johnson as a as a as a beautiful man. He's a beautiful, rugged man, you know. Yes. And Corey's like, I wonder what he smells like. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I mean, I, I watched it the other night again with my wife, and I'm just like, babe, Don Johnson, my God, <laughs> my God. And she's like, <laughs> I romance. know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a very yeah, like it's uh, a normal human reaction to yeah. seeing Don Johnson. I think. <laughs> yeah, he is. He was so great with me. He was so That's nice. Good. And That's even great. years later, I ran into him at CBS at the upfronts. And he just was like, he's just still, you know, so lovely and kind and um, very much like gentlemanly, you know, just very much treats women like very gentle, like he's a gentleman, you yeah. know, and I'm sure he can be a dog, but he wasn't that way with me. And um very generous, you know, on the set, very generous with, you know, the scenes and his time. And I do have to say the first time I met him, it, he has this, like of everybody I've ever worked with or been around, you walk in and it's just like, you almost go, cause he has so much like vibration of like star Mm. quality. It's just, it just oozes out of him. Well, yeah. you hold your own with all of these testosterone-filled dudes, um, sincerely, because <laughs> you. Uh, you know the 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 list of the movies you've been win, been in and the co-stars you've been with have been what many would consider some of the biggest screen male screen icons of the '80s and '90s. Um, but you hold your own. You kick ass. Bruce Willis. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Bruce Willis in Last Boy Scout. Obviously, you know, is that's a that's a huge movie. Yeah. Working with a, a, a an amazing director, you've worked with t- tremendous directors in Last Boy Scout specifically. This ain't no game, Flash. Joe Hellenbeck, a private detective who's run out of luck. If you touch me again, I'll kill you. <laughs> two for two. Told you, Jimmy Dix. I like Prince is an ex-quarterback who was thrown out of football. Another tragic tale of wasted youth. You're nobody. Shh. Don't tell anyone. They were trying to clean up their acts. You vacuum. I'll dust. When they got dragged into the dirty world of sports corruption. So you're going to bribe some senators to legalize again. Legalize. Sports gambling. Now. Son, we're going to a ball game. They've got one shot. What am I gonna do? Point at the bad guys and shoot! To get the goods. Ah! On the bad guys. This once, I would like to hear you scream. Play some rap music. (laughs) If they don't kill each other first. That was a bomb? Hit out of a hell of a factory recall. Bruce Willis. Damon Williams. The last Boy Scout. Danger's my middle name. Lance Cornelius. Tell anybody I kill you.
that was definitely a lot of testosterone. I bet. Um, and Bruce was a doll and Tony was, um, he was a lot of takes. I just remember like mm. 80, 90, a hundred takes. Why? Why Tony? Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, rest in peace, but yeah. he, I, I do think like, so the guy who directed Andre, who's George Miller, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now there's two George Millers, but he's the Australian George Miller, or are they both Australian? The Mad Max George Miller. I think it might not be the Mad Max. It might be the other one, but he he directed- Man from Snowy River, George Miller. Man from Snowy River, he did that. Okay, film. yes, yes. Are you looking that up? I did look okay. that up. Confirmed, okay, just throwing things- yeah. Everything, I just wanted, yeah. I just wanna like publicly say, I haven't looked anything else up, up to this point. <laughs> Zach has Very a reputation good. to uphold. Yeah. <laughs> I do have it's a like, reputation. I'm lying to you, but I just want Listen, to throw it I out there. I did the movies and I can't remember stuff. So, you know. <laughs> you were there. It's all good. Anyway, so, yes. So, George Miller and Blake Edwards were two of the directors that I worked with that I felt either had directed enough or had enough confidence or was old school or whatever yeah. that they did not use the monitor. And I know this is really old school, but they would sit there. Um, George would sit on the like on the um, the back of the camera, like off to the side next to the camera guy. And he would just watch the scene. Hmm. And then he'd turn to the, you know, to camera A or camera B and say, did you guys get that? Yeah. Or no, we need we need to move the actor, you know, two inches of left, or whatever. Right. Let's go again. And he watched the scene and then he would, you know, say print when he found what he liked and he never went and checked the monitor wow. and neither did uh, Blake always sat in front just watching the scene. And I do have to say that I was so glad as, an, as a younger actor to, I mean, I was older, but it was the beginning of my career to have those, to work with those men because there's so much that you miss when you're looking at a monitor and, you know, yeah. trying to see is the background right and this and that. Yeah. And there's so such amazing, subtle things that happen when you're present in the scene that you can't possibly get watching a monitor, but it will be on the film. You know, it will be, you know, you, you will have gotten that, that magic in the scene, but you may not know it, you know? Um, and those guys, those men, I think, really knew their stuff. And um, Tony was from the other camp, you yeah. know, just, and I'm not saying he didn't know his stuff. He was a great action director, yeah. definitely. Um, but he would do 80, 100 takes. And, you know, that was also the days where, you know, they were giving, you know, cars to people when a movie would open and it would do well. So wow. there was so much excess money then. Now they um, give kind bars to actors. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you get a gift card. All the stuff you can get for free anyway. So. Yeah, a gift card from Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> a Trader Joe's gift card. Speaking of, uh, of interesting directors, we've covered uh, hardware and uh, Color Out of Space on Podcasting After Dark, uh, two Richard Stanley films. Um, and Dust Devil was his sophomore follow-up to, to hardware. What was your experience with working with him? Um kind of a blank um he was he was he was a nice man um strange you know odd person but you know you're working in the world of art so you know it's it's all good um I got very sick on that film and mm. I had horrible parasites 
which the doctor in Namibia told me um, that it was an infected gallbladder. And so only eat fruit and vegetables. So Oof. that's all I ate. And of course, I was reinfecting myself every time oh I was eating fruits and vegetables. God. Oh. It was a nightmare. When I got <sighs> to England, I went, I took the plane home to England and I fell at in, my brother. Uh, he's gone now, but he at the time was living in England. And I went to his house and like the next night I had this really high fever and the doctor came in and said, um, she opens her little doctor bag and she goes, okay, well, have you been traveling? And I said, yeah, I just got back from Africa. And she said, oh, we're going to the hospital. <laughs> because they, they have that, you know, people fall off the plane all the time from Africa there. And so they, they have a very good system with dealing with it. But um, the conditions were horrible um, on that movie. And um, there was obvious reasons why I got so sick, which I won't go into, but they were just terrible terrible conditions and um i enjoyed that film a lot um i i enjoyed being there when i wasn't sick it it was the landscape was just beautiful again it was also a film kind of like prison where there wasn't a lot of dialogue and so there was a lot of you know when i read the script I remember thinking, hmm, this is really interesting, but it could go two ways. It could go the way I'm thinking, which could be really, really interesting, or it could go more the other way. And it went the other way. <laughs> <laughs> hence, so, hence the reason why there's like five cuts of that movie, by yeah. the way. So Yeah, are there? Yeah. Yeah, there's like three or four different versions of it. Yeah, so. and it's, it's it's really hard to find in, in the States. We'll cover it if there's ever a good Blu-ray drop of it, but it's it's hard to find now at this point. Yeah, I mean, I just think the producers and the director, it was all, you know, there were just so many versions that everybody had in their mind. I just don't know that there was one cohesive, you know. And Meryl Poster, who was like the exec from Miramax, I don't even know if she knew what they wanted either. And then knowing what happened with, with his Island of Dr. Moreau, uh, you know, cause they made a whole documentary on that. So it, it, right. it's, it all, that all kind of tracks, you know, basically. Yeah. yeah. Was the vision for everyone to get violently ill? Do you think? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. No, but I literally like, it was, it was a life changer for me. I was, you're so far from home. Oh, yeah. You're alone. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but you know, a couple of the executives were, really not not professional the way they behave and um you know i'm like literally like shaking like this from a fever and um the actor i worked with robert um john burke yeah take that zach (laughs) wait is it john or robert 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 john burke Burke. yeah yeah okay yes he um He, you know, he was so worried. He was like, oh my God, you've got to go to the hospital. And they ended up getting a doctor for me, but gave me the wrong diagnosis. But yeah, it was, it was oh, not. God. Sounds awful. You know. So, sorry. Good work, yeah. Corey. Thanks a lot, Corey. Good work. Thanks a lot. What was up. that experience like? It's like, I don't remember but, a lot because I was dying the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it just, it was, it's not like, it, there's not, it's not like a sore thing to talk about because it was very. It, you know, when you have bad experiences, you learn a lot from them. Totally. And totally. quite frankly, they seduced me with a lot of fucking money for that job. And that's I not a bad a thing. It was like, hey, you know, I was hoping that the script would get better. You know, that would be, you know, it wasn't great on the page, but it'll get better. And, you know, 
and it was Miramax. And so it was like, oh God, you know, and they offered it to me and it was like, they wined and dined me. Thank God I, you know, missed out on, you know, whatever his specialty was. Yeah. Oh my God, really? Oh, thank God. Yeah, I remember being asked to go meet him at the polo lounge. And it was like on a Saturday morning. I remember saying to my manager, what? Mm. Like what? On a Saturday? It was weird. And I did meet him and his brother was there. Mm. Came in, had the meeting and walked out and just thought that was weird. You know, and then they offered me a shitload of money and I was like, oh yeah, sure. I'll go to Africa. So I learned my lesson. I'm glad you learned it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was, well, you were bringing up, you know, obviously bringing up good relationships, interesting relationships on these movies, but uh, off air, we had brought up Hart Bachner because you have a relationship with him and you did a movie with him called Complex of Fear. Ray and Michelle thought they'd be safe when they moved into a suburban complex. Neighbors. But at Woodside Condominiums, a rapist is stalking women. I thought it was supposed to be safe around here. There have been cases where rapists have gone after cops' wives. Keeping his wife out of danger will become a cop's obsession. If you're worried about your wife, go home, talk to her, buy her a can of mace. Keep walking, keep walking, look around, look around, look behind you. What? I am not a police cadet! No man can be trusted. The women live in fear. No one is beyond suspicion. Come on, you don't think that I had something to do with any of this? What do you expect me to think, man? You're the right height, you got blue eyes, no alibi. Yeah, same as you, pal. I can't take this anymore. Hart Bachner. Everybody's a suspect. Joe Don Baker. There will be no more rapes at Woodside. Is that understood? Chelsea Field. I don't care if Vicky was sleeping with 50 guys a week or she was leading some guy on. No means no. No one is safe in the complex of fear. Before we became friends with Hart, we covered uh, many of his movies on the on Two Dollar Late Fee. We talked about The Wildlife, a movie he did in the '80s, which is essentially a loose sequel to Fast Times Ridgemont High. Mm. And he plays such a good scumbag in that with a mustache. Oh. And he always had this great mustache, right in the '80s and '90s. <laughs> and you made that movie with him. Obviously, you have a relationship with him to this day, so it was a positive experience. Yeah. Yeah, that was really great, and. Um... You know, it's funny as you're talking about all these movies, I'm like realizing I don't really remember much about the story of these movies. I mean, I remember Last Boy Scout and, and, and uh, you know, Masters and those stories. But a lot of these, it's like the story idea, but the experience with the people is what remains. So, yeah. Yeah. Hart and I became really good friends. We shot that down in Atlanta. Um, he's just a doll and a half and literally one of the best friends you can have. He is, he knows how to be a really good friend and he has That's a ton good. of good friends, you know, yeah. he's friends with everybody. Um, and we had fun and I remember, I can remember the audition and he was there when I read and, um, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. That's great. Yeah. Love that. We're, we're just about to wrap up with you, but uh, I got to tell you, Chelsea, like you're such a rad person. I, I love like your oh. energy uh, and, and you know, the fact that you have weathered the storm of acting in the 80s and the 90s <laughs> with dynamic personalities and crazy stories, but to be so centered and like such an awesome person. Thank you so much for being on our show. Oh. This is really great. Thank you. Thanks. That's so sweet. Truly. That's, um, yeah, that, that makes me feel good. 
we're, well, that's kind of our, our intention is always to, to end the day on a positive, well, end the rest of your day on the positive note, you know? Awesome. Thank you so much. And this was a huge, huge honor. Seriously, this was this oh. was absolutely amazing talking to you. Thank you again. You're welcome. You guys Thank are a you. lot of fun. Well, so was Hart right, by the way? <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. Yes, he was right. Tell Hart we said Best hi. <laughs> I will. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Right. Thank you, Chelsea. See you later, take guys. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win. Even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four. Is it five star rating? (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five star rating on iTunes. We really. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFee Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it.